All right, good morning. All right. Hey, if you got your Bibles, open up to John chapter 15. We're going to jump right in this morning. And again, if you are a guest with us this morning, or just we're so glad that you're here. And I also want to encourage you, we've got a ton of notes in the app. So if you haven't downloaded the Union Chapel app, all the cool people are doing it. Um, and so you should totally do that because I've got a, a, a great outline in there that'll help kind of walk through today. And um, we're we're closing out a series, to, it was just a quick two-week series uh, that I've been teaching called Abide, really helping us unpack what does it look like for us to live lives empowered by the Holy Spirit, bent towards God, not living lives out of just chance, not living lives just kind of like, oh, Jesus is a good teacher, or I'm following Jesus out of convenience, or because my family has, but really choosing to follow G- Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit through this act of, of, of love and how our love is what drives us to obedience. And so I want to encourage you, if you didn't catch last week's message, uh, it's, worth the, it's worth the watch because I, I unpacked John chapter 15, uh, John chapter 14 and 15, and we explore what does, uh, what does obedience driven by love really, really look like? Not love out of, or not obedience driven by fear, um, although that is still a good, you know, loving God out of fear is still a good thing. Loving God out of duty is still a good thing. You know, one of the phrases I used last week was, um, uh, it was a quote from another pastor uh, named Mike Bickle where he says that um, mature or immature love or weak love is still genuine love. That, that even though our love is growing does not mean that it's, it's, it's not a real love. And so what does it look like for us to grow in our love for God, empowered through the Holy Spirit, to live lives um, empowered by the Holy Spirit so that our obedience then is driven out of love and not duty and fear and, and other things. And so I just want to encourage you to, to jump on to the Union Chapel's YouTube page or Facebook um, and catch last week's sermon. I think it'll be really, really helpful for you. Um, I know it's been helpful for me personally. And so we're going to continue the series today um, of what does it look like for us to abide in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I want to give a little context here uh, of what's going on with Jesus and the disciples, because I think it helps us uh, realize the magnitude of this teaching, um, which I, I really think is the greatest teaching Jesus gave, um, Jesus being the greatest teacher uh, especially when you think about the context of what, what's getting ready to happen. So I want to set this up for us. Jesus is, uh, is having the Passover meal with the disciples. These are the guys that he's been traveling with for three and a half years. These are his best friends. Um, you know, uh, I think sometimes we can say that and it's like, oh yeah, they hung out a lot. It's like, no, that's all they did. <laughs> like when, when, when the disciples traveled with Jesus, they... They traveled with Jesus. It wasn't like they like went home, you know, in the evening, like, okay, we'll go with Jesus during the day, then we'll come home. It's like, no, they were traveling all over the country, watching Jesus perform all these miracles, watching him shout down or talk down the storm, watching him um, free people from demons and, 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 and heal people and feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a few fish and things like that. They've seen Jesus's activity. And Jesus is sitting down at the Passover meal hours. Again, let's put this in context. This teaching is hours before he is getting ready to be arrested and go to the cross. And so Jesus is no longer speaking in parables or or hyperbole or, or figurative language. Jesus is saying to them, 
I have to go. I'm leaving and I'm going to send to you this advocate. I'm going to send to you the, the, the spirit of truth. I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. And it's actually better for you. Think about how perplexing this would be if you were the disciples. Not only is Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to leave. Jesus is saying, it's actually going to be better for you that I go. Because when I leave, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And so you're seeing the disciples trying to navigate this perplexing idea. And Jesus is saying like, hey, they're going to kill me and I'm going to raise them. Like he's saying all of these things and the disciples are having to wrestle with this. So that's where we're picking up the story here in John chapter 15. Uh, specifically, we're going to start at verse 26. It'll be on the screens as well. Um, Jesus is continuing to just explain to them and express to them how good it is that he's leaving. Again, I, that, that needs to set in. I, sometimes I think we, 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 you know, we can kind of think, man, if we could just have walked with Jesus, we, you know, life would be so much easier if we could have just walked with Jesus. And Jesus is saying to the very people that have walked with him for three and a half years, no, 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 it's actually better that I leave because if I leave, the Holy Spirit is going to come and empower you to live rightly. No longer God just walking with us, but the Holy Spirit living in you to transform you. So verse, uh, chapter, uh, John chapter 15, verse number 26. Here we go. This is Jesus speaking. When the advocate comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the, Holy, the, the Spirit of truth who comes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the very beginning. So, so Jesus, in these next few verses, is going to begin to unpack what the activity of the Holy Spirit will be in the earth. He's going to unpack the work of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that he highlights is that the Holy Spirit will testify about Jesus. That the Holy Spirit is moving in the earth about Jesus. He's moving and, and prompting and speaking to people that, that Jesus is Lord, that the, that the Holy Spirit is in the earth and testifying of Jesus. He says, not only is the Holy Spirit testifying, this is the, really the first time that Jesus says, it's your responsibility to also testify about me. So the Holy Spirit's going to be about the world testifying in you. So this is before the Great Commission, right? Like the Great Commission comes later. The Great Commission comes after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, right before he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. But Jesus is telling the disciples now, the Holy Spirit is going to testify about me, and you also are to testify about me, because you've been with me. John chapter 16, verse number 1. All of this I have told you so that you will not fall away, that you would put, uh, they will put you out of the synagogue and in fact, the hour is coming when those who kill you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Again, put this into context. Jesus is sitting down with his friends and he says, Hey, it's best that I go away, but I'm going to tell you these things to build up your faith, I'm going to send the advocate to you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you to build up your faith because they're going to throw you out of the synagogues. So these are Jewish guys that, 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 that the synagogue is the place of worship. The synagogue is where they went for forgiveness of sins. The synagogue is where they would go to worship God. And he's saying, hey, because you believe in me, your people are going to throw you out of the synagogues, your places of worship. And not only are they going to send you out, 
They're going to kill you. This is not a very compelling vision. Again, think about the context of this. Jesus is now saying, not only am I going to leave, when I leave, they're actually going to kick you out and kill you, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to empower you to withstand those, pre- those pressures. It's really important for us because I think here in America, we have a, we have a distorted view of persecution. Hear me out. We, we call things persecution that are inconveniences. The, especially when you think, and I did some research on this, like in the globe, one out of every eight believers, listen to me, in this light of persecution, because here's, here's why this matters. The, the power of the Holy Spirit is not to just protect you when you're posting something on social media and someone gets mad at you. That's not persecution. The Holy Spirit, this is why it's so important, the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to live boldly despite real challenge. One in eight Christians around the globe will be martyred. That's not an old statistic. That's, that's today's numbers. Let me just read a few things to you to put this persecution in perspective. One in eight Christians worldwide will be martyred. One in six in Africa. Two of five in Asia. One in 12 in Latin America. This is actually data that we can get our hands on. So, so it's safe to say it's probably a bit more intense than that. That would probably be the safe to say because I don't think that, generally speaking, people aren't, you know, filling out a survey saying this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Like, like, so so th- let's just keep this in context. Every day, 13 Christians are martyred. 12 churches are attacked. 12 Christians are unjustly arrested. And five Christians are abducted daily. And so, so to put this understanding of what Jesus is saying in real perspective is he's telling the disciples they're going to kick you out of the synagogues, they're going to kill you, and, and the Holy Spirit will empower you to live and follow me despite of that level of persecution. Listen to me, high school, middle school student. Listen to me, young adult. I know your high school, your middle school, your, your college campuses are brutal. But, but the Holy Spirit will empower you. The Holy Spirit will walk with you so that you can be, so that you will not be alone in the midst of hard things. If the Holy Spirit will empower the disciples to withstand death, I promise you, He will walk with you in your hallways so that you don't feel alone and isolated. That He will give you insight and wisdom and strength and perspective to stand up with grace and truth for Him. That you don't have to walk your hallways and feel alone and isolated because you're following Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit, God himself, is walking with you. He's with you at the lunchroom. Adults, he's with you at your lunchroom. He's with you in the teacher's lounge. He's with you, business owner, when you're trying to make decisions. And there's decisions that you're like, man, I just don't know if this is ethically what I should make. And the Holy Spirit will empower you. Because here's the story of the disciples. Ten of the twelve were martyred. The only two disciples that made it, or that, that weren't martyred were Judas, who took his own life, and John. Um, and John, uh, John didn't exactly have the most uh, 
uh, easy ex- existence. And so I think we've got to put this, the, we, for us to understand the level of empowerment the Holy Spirit wants to allow you to walk in, he wants to empower you so much that you can walk into your family gatherings and not feel threatened by people who may not read the scriptures the way you do or not, or not, not really want to know about Jesus. But you can walk in confidence with humility and love, not because you're the smartest person in the room, but because you have the grace and presence of the Holy Spirit walking with you, that you can walk with confidence, humble confidence, Because if the Lord God can empower the disciples in that day to walk unto martyrdom, I promise he will empower you at that same level. John chapter 16, verse number four. I've told you this so that when the hour comes, you will remember that I warned you about these things. He's saying, I'm telling you this, heads up, trials are coming, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to empower you through those trials. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of this... Uh, None of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things to you. The disciples still aren't getting it. They're they're still terrified that Jesus is leaving. And Jesus is is sitting there going, I'm going to send the advocate. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. It's better that I go because the Holy Spirit will be with you. Church, that is our mandate. That the Lord is with you, the Holy Spirit, that it was better for Jesus to die and resurrect and go sit at the right hand of the Father and intercede on our behalf because he sent his very presence to live inside of you, to empower you day by day by day. No longer God just being with us, but the Holy Spirit living in us to live transformed, empowered Lives, And so Jesus begins to unpack here in verse number eight, Jesus begins to unpack for us some other works that the Holy Spirit is doing. And there's, there's four specific things that Jesus unpacks here that are the work of the Holy Spirit in the, in, in the earth. And I'm, we're going to unpack those together. So this is what John, he says in John chapter uh, 16, verse number eight. Jesus again speaking. He says, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment and about sin because people do not believe in me about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you, uh, where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of the world now stands condemned. And so if you look at the language there, Jesus begins to unpack these words of, of, of sin and righteousness and judgment. Um, and so, so, so let's unpack this a little bit. The first thing is this. When you look at the, the work of the Spirit, one thing that Jesus highlights... Uh, of the work of the Spirit to be is that the Holy Spirit uh, will bring conviction. The Holy Spirit is the convictor of our sins and of others. That, that one of the Holy Spirit's primary jobs operating in the earth is to give testimony to who Jesus is and convict us that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. That it's the work of the Spirit that empowers us to salvation. In, in, in our Westland tradition, we have an amazing, uh, this, this theology of prevenient grace. That God is working, before we even say yes to him, God is working and calling and driving and pursuing us to be in a relationship with him. That the Holy Spirit is moving and calling us to himself 
calling us to Jesus before we even say yes, that God is so gracious and kind before, before he gives us this opportunity to say yes and he's moving on our behalf. He's calling us home. And it's his voice, the Holy Spirit's voice is the one that convicts us of our sin. It's that, it's that whisper, that unction, that, that, that bend, that, that, that when you're facing sin and you know that it's just not the way you're supposed to go, that, that we can actually live these spirit-empowered lives. And, and, and I think this is helpful for us too because the, the way that I said it in our notes is that the Holy Spirit allows us, the Holy Spirit empowers us to speak the truth in love but we can't ultimately do the work of changing someone's heart. Listen to me. We can speak the truth in love, but it's through the work of the Holy Spirit that ultimately changes people's hearts. It's Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints. Verse 14, then no longer, uh, then you'll be no longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there uh, with every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of the people that is deceitful scheming. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we in all things grow up in him who is head, that is Christ. So by speaking the truth in love, we grow up in him for the whole body is joined together, held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in him as part, uh, as these parts does its work. So this idea of speaking the truth in love, here's what I, here's what I observe in our humanity. Some of us, are truth people. Truth is the most important thing. We work to speak truth. We love to speak truth. We love to confront. We love to do all these things. We think it's our responsibility to speak truth and stand. And then on the other side, we have love people. People who, who just, we just want to love people well, and we want to, you know, we, we, we're just driven by love. And here's the thing. Each has its challenges. If you're a truth person, you speak the truth, it's like, taking a, it's like taking a spoonful of salt sometimes, and you truth speakers, you know exactly what I'm saying. You're like, I don't care. I'm going to say it. Take the spoonful of salt and suck it down. Like You're like, I'm just going to speak the truth. And yeah, it still works, right? Like it's like the salt's beneficial, but it's nasty. It's not helpful. People aren't coming back saying, please, thank you, sir. May I have another? On the other side, though, if we don't, if we don't, if we're just a love person, it's like when you go to your kids and you're like, here's a candy bar, here's the medicine, you can have a candy bar with your medicine, and you can have a candy bar afterwards. And then, 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 our, then we're like, a, you know, like, if it's just love and no truth, it's, 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 not, it's not right. So the call for us is to be really great Christ followers who, who understand truth, are empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak truth, but we do it in such a way that it actually describes the love of God. And in the same way as we're speaking love, we, the, one of the greatest places of kindness that we can give is clarity of truth through, through love, so we can speak truth through love. We just can't separate those things. So here's my challenge to you. If you are a truth person, you know who you are. Ask the Holy Spirit to soften your edges. 
It is not your job to fix everyone. It's not your job to argue with everyone. Ask the Holy Spirit. And listen to me, because now the truth people are going like, well, are we going to stand for anything? Yes, just don't be a jerk. It's not a binary thing. It's not like, well, if I stand for truth, I got to be a jerk. If I stand for love, I can't stand for truth. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's grow up in our faith. Let's be mature in this. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to transform us so that when we speak truth, we can do it in such a gracious and humble way that people can't help but listen. And, and here's the thing. You still may not convince them. Why? Because it's the work of the Holy Spirit that transforms people. And love people do the work to be able to articulate truth so that people don't just think that you're just a love person, that everything's okay and everything's all right and it's, everything's you know, blown about by the waves here and there. But they, you can actually do the hard work of actually understanding and um, articulating truth because clarity is kind, as I've heard it said. So that, that the greatest, greatest gift that you can give people out of your love is clarity and kindness so that you can actually speak the truth. Can you imagine if we were able to walk boldly, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to really walk this out with, with, with truth and love? Not either or. And to be able to discern in the moment, well, is this, is this moment, moment require more truth? Or does this moment require more love? Does this, how do I, like, like to actually not, not just put ourselves in two different camps, but to actually um, be discerning, spirit-filled people that can walk, uh, 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 think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They knew everything about Babylon. They were, they were students of the culture. They understood that. But yet they were able to stand boldly and walk in grace and kindness. Second thing is this. The work of the Holy Spirit. Righteousness revealed. The Holy Spirit reveals righteousness to the world. The Holy Spirit is, again, is moving and working and speaking and drawing people. The Holy Spirit is giving testimony to Jesus' death and resurrection. That the Holy Spirit, even now, is calling and prompting and, 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 and initiating kingdom work throughout the earth. Calling people to know who Jesus is. And not only that, but when we say yes to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit wants to come and transform the old to deliver the new. This is um, 2, Corinthians chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. It's the love of Christ that compels us to transformation because we are convinced that, that one has died for all and therefore all died and he died for all and those who live should no longer uh, live for themselves but for him who died for them and raised them up that through Christ we are empowered to be transformed by the whisper of the Spirit, and that when we face temptation, that we can actually choose the righteousness of God and turn away from sin. That we can, the, the, the process of this is, the, the church word for this is called sanctification. That God is doing a sanctifying work inside of us that, that as we surrender Him more and more, we choose Him more and more. That we actually can live sinless lives. That I can look at sin through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can look at sin and choose to not sin. 
that do the sanctifying work of the saints, and that's not just for clergy or for really super Christians, but that that is the inheritance of the children of God to walk holy and humbly before him, that he will empower us to be able to look at sin and choose him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Third thing is this, that judgment has been pardoned, that the Holy Spirit gives testimony to that judgment is pardoned. Through the completed work of Jesus, our sins are forgiven, and through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we are lived, we are able to live pardoned lives. That Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was once for all, for you and for me, that, that it paid the debt full and complete, which pardons us for eternity and pardons us and empowers us to live a spirit-filled life now. That Jesus just, he's not just concerned with our eternal existence, but our lives can give testimony to him now through the power of the Spirit. That how I live now matters. This secular humanism and all this other garbage that are taking root in our culture says, you know, you do your thing, it doesn't matter. It's your choice, your existence doesn't matter to anybody but you, and da 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 No, 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 no. The, our Christian faith would say such the different. That, that, my, that my life, my existence, how I walk my faith out matters to the world. Because why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and is empowering me to show Jesus who the world is by the way the Spirit demonstrates in my life. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those aren't options. That's not an a la carte. It's not like you're going to, to, to Golden Corral and you're like, I'll take love and I'll take peace. Patience Hard pass. This is not how this works. God's destiny for you. Don't confuse spiritual gifts with the fruit of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit as He chooses. The fruits of the Spirit are the, the manifestation, are the working out of your faith, are the gifts that the Spirit empowers you to walk in now to demonstrate the goodness of God, the, 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 the kindness of God that then drives people to repentance because they actually see a transformed life that you actually are different now that you're following Jesus. Your greatest testimony to your kids, to your grandkids, to your coworkers, to your friends on campus is your transformed life. It's your faith lived out, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Be, be, be not, be, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your transformed existence gives testimony to who Jesus is. Number four. Okay, there you go. That's what happens when you hit the, hit the side. Okay. Jesus transitions here. He begins to pray. And I wish I could unpack all of John 17 for us, uh, but I'm only going to unpack part of it for us today. Um, Jesus goes from teaching to actually praying, and he prays for, 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 for the disciples, and then he prays for the believers. And I want to read this passage to you, and then we'll unpack it. John 17, this is Jesus' prayer. He says, Jesus, this is Jesus' prayer for, for the believers. For the believers after him. John 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through the message. 
that all may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I am in you and you are in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, and then the world will know that, I, that you sent me and have loved them even as I have loved you. Twice right here, Jesus says that, that, if it, that, that the unity of the body will display that God sent Jesus. That the unity within the church, the unity in the body of Christ demonstrates to the world that Jesus was sent by the Father. Unity through Christ and one another, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live in this unity. God knows that unity in the earth is a wee bit challenging. I don't look at our landscape right now and say, wow, we've got a lot of unity right now. This is going really well. But I want to unpack this unity for us because I think there's, there's some challenges is here. Is, that, is, is we've got to come to this understanding and, and let me, because, because I think we can try to gather around the wrong things. Christ, and this may sound very elementary, but hear me out. We must unify around Christ as our bedrock and foundation. If he is not the bedrock and foundation, we will get swayed in different ways. And what culture wants us to, to, to gather around are policies and politics. Think about the last, oh, forever. This is what humanity tries to put us in camps on and divide us over and all these things. And I just want to encourage us today is that, that, that we've got to be, a, we have to be a church. The church has to be a bride of Christ that gathers first around Jesus and his word. That if those things are the foundation, everything else flows from there. It's not our feelings and our reason and those types of things that drive us to unity or teach us what the Bible says. It's the word of God that empowers us to know who Jesus is and center around him. We've got to care more about Jesus than our policies and our politics and our sports teams. Mm, all right. I'm going to help myself. But I want to help us here really quickly because it's like that preach is really good. But we live in a structured society with policies and politics and all those types of things. And so I want to, I want to teach us a little bit of a, of a filtering system for how we can actually walk in this. How do we actually walk in unity around this? And John Wesley actually gave us a really great tool. And, and some people, some people uh, they attribute this. It's called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. They attribute this to Wesley. Now, Wesley never sat down and was like, here are four ways to filter culture. That's, but, but if you observe Wesley's life, this is how he did it. There's four ways that he did it. And I'm going to unpack this for us real quick. The first is Scripture. Scripture was at the center. Wesley, it was, the, it was the infallible word of God is the primary filter. Not our feelings, not our emotions, not our policies, not our groups. But Wesley was a student of the word. Part of the reason our culture, and I'll speak to our Christian culture, part of the reason there's this progressive Christianity nonsense that's taking root in our churches is because our churches don't know the word of God. We've got to be people and students of the word. 
to be able to interpret the scriptures and understand what God's word says so, this, so, that, so that God, the word that God says that it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, uh, and, and admonishing all righteousness. That the word of God, that as I read the scriptures, that God has instructed humanity on the way to live and it's found in the scriptures. And then after we look at the scriptures, we look at church history. We look at 2,000 years of established Christian doctrine Orthodox doctrine through the history of the church. That, 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 that the church has written for 2,000 years about what it believes as it, as it reads the scriptures. So, so, so I just want to challenge us that if, if, if you're coming from this place of like, well, you know, well, we just, have, we've just, we just need to interpret this differently. We've been interpreted wrong. I think you're wrong. You've got to look at what the scriptures say and you've got to look at church history. There's a standing tradition for which the, the scriptures stand on. The, the church history was, was written for the church to be, to be read by the church and to be interpreted by the church. We don't use the world to interpret our history. We don't use the world to interpret our history or the world to interpret our scriptures. We first use the scriptures and church history to interpret the world. This is why this is getting so confusing in our culture is we're using feelings and emotions and all these other things as our primary mechanisms for which we're filtering the things of God. The things we've used to filter the things of God are the things of God. His scripture and his established church, and then Wesley would say, as you use scripture, use church history, you would ask this question of, is it reasonable? It's not, it's not what do I think is reasonable. It's as you interpret the scriptures and you use church history, what is reasonable? It's a tool for interpreting. It's, it's is, is, is what's made clear through, through the scriptures and church history. Because once, it's, once you look at the scriptures and you look at church history, is it reasonable? It should be able to be experienced and lived out. The experience that, that Wesley's talking about, he isn't saying that it's the experience of, well, this is, my, this is just my life. This is the way that I experience the world. This is the way that I do this. He's saying, no, no, no. Through understanding the scriptures and church history, and is it really, it allows you to live the scriptures out, not applying your lived experience to the scriptures, allowing the scriptures to speak into your lived existence. That's pretty good. This is what we have to teach our children. Because we're in a culture that's teaching us, well, whatever you feel is what your truth. Your truth, truth is relative. Truth is not relative. Truth is not subjective. We hold up, as Christ-following believers, we hold up scriptures as the ultimate source of our truth and guide to our life. If you don't like something that's in the scripture, I want to suggest to you with all humility and love and grace that if, you're, if, if you look and read scriptures and there's something in your life that isn't lining up with scriptures, I want, to, I want to offer to you to study the scriptures, to dig into the scriptures, to wrestle with the scriptures. Because my guess is going to be that it's not the scriptures that need to change, but it's, the, it's your life that needs to be applied, have allowed the scriptures to be applied to your life. And here's the beautiful thing about this, friends. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you to live this out. 
This isn't a correction. This is an invitation to live a life abundant. That Jesus came to give you life. Some of us in this room, band, if you guys want to come on up, I'm going to close it down. Some of us in this room may even find ourselves in this, this season of deconstruction. You know, that's kind of like this, the cool, sexy word right now. It's like I'm a deconstructing Christian or whatever. Um, if you find yourself in that, here's what I want to encourage you in. Deconstruction will only lead you to despair unless you're willing to do the hard work to reconstruct. The scriptures can hold up to your questions. God can hold up to your questions. My encouragement to you today is to actually engage the scriptures and see what they actually say. Not what social media says. Not what your Facebook or Instagram or TikTok group says. Not what some influencer says. But to actually get with some folks and read the scriptures and see what the scripture says, to, to look at the history of the church and see what the history of the church says, to, to, to dive into that together. Because I think what you will find is that as you lean in, even in the midst of feeling your deconstruction, even in the midst of feeling this angst, as you lean in, watch this, God will lean right back into you. This demonstrated in scripture. There's a story of of a prodigal son who went and tried to live his own way. And as soon as the father saw the son running back, walking back down the road, the father ran to him. So don't just deconstruct for deconstruction's sake. Actually do the intellectual and heart work to actually find answers to your questions. And watch what the Holy Spirit does as you actually seek real answers. If you would, why don't you, everybody just stand up all over this place. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to go into worship. And here's what I want to pray for us. We've been in this series the last couple weeks of of just, just trying to align our lives towards the scriptures, align our lives towards the Holy Spirit. And I've talked to a lot of you, and you've said, man, this, this series has just been such a, uh, just, it's just put a fresh fire in me. And I just want to encourage you that the Lord has so much more. He has so much more. As we align our lives and bend our lives towards the Lord, like, let's, let's just watch together what God wants to do. Because he's just not done. And if you find, if you find yourself, where you're like, man, I don't know about all this stuff, I'm telling you, just lean in. Lean in. I just, want to, I just want to pray for us as we go into worship, just to invite the Holy Spirit. And as we even worship, I just want to invite you. We don't, need, we don't need some fancy prayer. We just need hearts bent towards God. We just need a group of people that say, Lord, you're it. You're what I want. A life bent towards God is marked by surrender. Every day. I love you, Jesus. Show me more. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for this body. I thank you for these people. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill them freshly. God, would you bend our hearts towards you? Show us more, Jesus. Show us more, Jesus. We just ask you to to fill us freshly today.